Boxeo is your pleasure, then consider this your home. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back and ready to pour some much-needed coolants on your nether regions with another gratuitous dose of that performance-enhancing audio. We are fresh off another loaded weekend of boxing, and this show is ready and prepared to break it down in painstaking and hilarious detail. But make no mistake, the topic of Canelo Triple G is still fresh on the dome. So with that in mind, we've got a great show featuring Gennady Golovkin trainer Abel Sanchez to talk about the scoring of the fight, Triple G strategy, what the future might bring for a rematch. Abel Long, one of boxing's best and most honest quotes, is here, so you don't want to miss this later in the show. Rafe and I will also discuss that HBO replay over this weekend and whether or not our scorecards for the fight have changed. It'll be very interesting. But before I tag in the aforementioned Big Red and remind the listeners just how much cruising was indeed made for box, let me remind you how important your role in the success of the ITC continues to be. Many thanks to all who have taken that time to subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, and spread the word on social media using the hashtag in this corner. But we need more. So today, as always, if you see something, it's time to do your part and say something as the ITC brand continues to grow like Nick Cage in a bad movie or Montel Griffin in the second Roy Jones fight. It'll be gone in 60 seconds. That's all the time it will take. Without any further ado, let me welcome in my partner in crime, an internationally renowned author, writer, and protector, yes, of all things cruiserweights. Yeah. Cruising was made for box, yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah, the coffee house version. Rafe Bartholomew, how is it, my man? I'm overflowing with cruiserweight soul. Actually, the soul that left that left our friend Dmitry Kujashov's oh, body. the hammer. Floating around somewhere in the air in San Antonio. Uh, you know, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to shoot my cruiserweight load here because uh, I know that's coming up later. I don't know what, but yeah. Oh, 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 what? Let him shoot his load. Exactly. You don't want to do that too early. I know, I know, I know your game plan. You're trying to let me shoot my load here, uh, but you know, at which point I'm going to shoot that load, you may not know. That's that's you know, wow. You 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 hit it right off the top, Rafe. This was a including Kudrasov, a wild weekend of box, a oh, really fun. So you know, like much respect, really, to box. You know, I mean, it, it brought it, but without getting into many specifics for a minute, on a grander sense, Rafe, the one thing I took away from this weekend. The B-sides, for the most part, never stopped trying to win. Like, it was, like, intense. There were these mini brawls. All the, For the most part, all the fights were really good. So there feels like there's almost this momentum thing coming that was built off of Triple G Canelo. And it kind of reminds me of what I consider boxing's last great year, 2013. Now, a little recap there. That year was so good because... Floyd signed with Showtime, and there was a real competition there between HBO and Showtime for the first time in years. It, of course, started in the fall before of 2012 with, uh, you know, Martinez Chavez through Pacquiao Marquez 4 that kicked it off. But there's something happened in the early spring of that year. You had Provodnikov Bradley and Rio Salvarado won on consecutive weeks, and it built this, like, momentum that were, like, every weekend from that point on, even the fights that were supposed to stink 
were really exciting. Rafe in 2017 already considered a really, really good year for boxing and much needed after last year's debacle. Are we getting some Triple G Canelo rub off here? You, you feeling what I'm feeling? Uh, you know, I, I don't know about the rub off, Brian, but, uh, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Who, who knows how it's just, it's luck. You know, we're rolling the dice every weekend and, and this has been a great year, you know, and, and I'm happy with that. I don't know if I need a unifying theory. You know, you see the sort of uh, one year on, one year off trend in boxing uh, that that tends to hold. Uh, so, you know, God help us next year because 2017 oh. has been awesome. Yes, yes. Well, shout out to all of our Spanish listeners this week. Buenas noches, amigos. Buenas noches, Papa. ¿Cómo estás bien? Yeah. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. Mexican style. Exactly, Triple G. Exactly. And also, you know, shout out to our Kazakh listeners. <laughs> Rafe, we have so many great fights. So not great. We have so many really good fights from this weekend to talk about. We also have a lot of news. And right off the top of the news, Andre Ward, 33 years old. He gone, baby. He's retiring. Are you surprised? I don't know. A little bit, yeah, because he was talking about fighting heavyweights. Apparently, he was, you know, there were news of him in talks for to extend a deal with HBO. And then... uh all of a sudden, he just, you know, comes out with the video and the little essay saying, nope, that's it. I'm done. So I guess he didn't like what he saw on the other side. There wasn't enough opportunity for the right fights or whatever, and uh, he just decided to get out. I don't care. You know, I wasn't expecting wow. him to fight for – I don't care. I don't care. I, I, look, uh, Ward is a great fighter. I wasn't expecting to see him back in the ring for like 18 months, and uh, he he has plenty of time to unretire and still fight in 18 months if he wants. I don't know. It's up to him. Wow. No love for the SOG from Rafe. Look, I'm not surprised by this news because let's not forget, Ward was teasing this after the first Kovalev fight. Let's also not forget, he hasn't ever really played by the rules of boxing society, meaning he doesn't care about the criticism. He'll take long periods off. He'll fight guys on BET. He'll fight Alexander Brand on HBO. Like, he doesn't, he's, he's really you know, handled it his own way. He wasn't afraid to go to battle against Goosen and kind of hijack a couple years of his career. So I'm not surprised that he sort of ends his career the way that he handled it in the middle, which was on his own terms. So there's that side of me that gives him respect because we know Rafe in this brutal sport. Nobody walks away on their own terms, you know, and pulls a Floyd Mayweather and does sort of what they want. The Everyone else's question is, you know, oh, come on, he's 33. He'll be back for the big fight. I'm not so sure with his personality. He doesn't appear to be motivated by money. It doesn't seem to, you know, more more family oriented, more focused on his own health. Obviously, he's got a career as a broadcaster that, that that's pretty decent. I don't know if he'll be back in the end. And I think the only fight I didn't get from him in his current situation was I really would have liked to see him go in there against Superman and Donna Stevenson and finally force Adonis into a fight that proves whether he, you know, is worthy as the lineal champ and actually get full clarity in this division. Do you have any regrets here? Uh, regrets? No, but I think with uh, with Ward, uh, you know, I would have liked to see him stick around, but again, I didn't know who he was going to fight or when, and, and I figured it wasn't going to be uh, anytime soon, and, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of am with you uh, with regards to will he be back, because you know, when when have we ever heard Andre Ward, um, you know, even 
change his mind about something or admit that he could be possibly wrong. And he rarely is wrong, but to give him credit, but, uh, you know, he, he's just the kind of guy that even if he wants to come back at some point in time, I, he, he almost seems so stubborn and that's so ingrained in him that, that he won't do it because he just never goes back on the decision he has made. Like when, once it's in, it's in. Uh, so he might actually stick to it even, even though he's young and, and has plenty of time to come back if, uh, if, if he wants to. Now, the question that, you know, we, we do knee-jerk reactions. We're, we're boxy media, quote-unquote, right? That's sort of what we do in this age of the 24-7 news cycle and social media. What do we do with his legacy? There's some idea because the end run was a, not handpicked because he fought top guys around some of those crap comeback matchups. But it wasn't a complete career, meaning he only had 32 fights, right? He, he, at the peak of his run in the, as a super middleweight against Carl Frotch, he stepped, essentially stepped away from the sport for two years. So what I'm saying there is even though he came back and, you know, knocked out Dawson and beat Kovalev twice and did big things, there's a little bit of some incompletes in there. So there's an idea that you might say, well, he's kind of Calzaghe-like, but I don't make that comparison at all. I think his legacy is almost unique. And I think that he's got the fine wine thing, Rafe, where I think as the years go on and we're not so caught up on the fact that a lot of media members don't like him because of his attitude. They think he's cocky. They think he's too kind of controlling of his own plan and doesn't, you know, doesn't bend to anybody else. I think as time goes on, his, the way we remember him will only grow because Rafe, like in the ring, you can't say anything negative about him. The guy goes in there, he's really the most adaptable fighter outside of Floyd, can fight any style in there, can, can figure a way to take you out. I think that as each year progresses, we're going to rate him higher and higher historically. Sure, yeah. I mean, the, the, really the only things to knock about Andre Ward's career are the, the, the things that happened outside of the ring, the, 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 the time he spent, you know, when, when people wished, fans and media wished that he had been in the ring building more of a resume, taking on more challenges, just doing, being more active, being more busy, as they say. Um, you know. How busy? Uh, How busy should he have stayed? Busy. Exactly. Busy. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and so that sort of leaves a lingering, uh, you know, reservation or, or a little bit of a bad taste right now because you're like, man, it's just one of those things. You're like, man, I wish he had given a little bit more to the sport, but he doesn't, he doesn't owe the sport anything that, and he clearly gave plenty over his entire life. I mean, he's been fighting since he's like nine years old. Um, so it's one of those things where it's almost unfair to say we want more, 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 but with a talent like that, you do want more, 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 more. Uh, that's just one of those things, and you're right as we get more time and distance from his retirement if it sticks and we're really just left with how great of a fighter he is he will be remembered as a great fighter now one final question here i consider roy jones to be the generation before this right his absolute prime was late 90s and of course he had big fights in the early 2000s but if our generation is essentially right around the time that floyd and manny became pay-per-view stars in the mid-aughts then this generation the last 10 15 years Floyd's our guy of the era. He beat Manny Pacquiao when they were one and two. Five years too late, but Floyd's our guy. Walked away fifty and zero. Where does Ward fit in on those this era pound for pound power rankings? Does has he accomplished enough to best Manny for that number two spot, or am I just fixed fixing to fish here and, and really trying to catch something? It depends on how you evaluate your pound for pound whatever all time great rankings. Like if you want to look at it as if, if, you know, magically these two people were made the same size and they fought each other, I think most people would probably prefer, we would probably give Ward the edge in that, in, in that matchup, in most matchups. So if you look at just eye test, who is a, 
uh, more talented fighter, you probably end up going slightly with Andre Ward. Uh, I just if, think it's hard to best what Manny accomplished, right? Moving right, away exactly. so many but, times. But, if, but there's not even close in terms of the, the wins that Manny has, the career that he had. Uh, just all together, the, the, yeah, and if you're, if you're balancing careers, Manny is, is, uh, light years ahead of Andre Ward. I mean, that's, that's really what could hurt Andre Ward legacy wise is that just the, the big wins, the legacy, that side of it is not there. You really are evaluating him on how talented he is, he is, not on what he accomplished. Not necessarily always his own fault because those opponents, you know, I mean, there wasn't who, there, there's no Morales for, for him to fight. There's no Marquez for him to have a, a you know, a quadrilogy with or whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he had the Kovalev fights. He had, it's just a you smaller know, sample size than you want, Ray. Yes. Because obviously when you look at the resume, you're like, Beat a prime Kessler, right? With only one loss at that time. Uh, beat a prime Frotch, who only had one loss at that time. Move, you know, beat, knocked out Dawson when it, when it kind of still mattered. Beat Abraham. And then those two wins over Kova, like we mentioned, you can't take anything away from that. He was unbeaten top four pound for pound at that moment. I mean, but. You can, you can, there are quibbles, you know, he earned those wins, but there are quibbles with the Dawson and the Kovalev wins and that most people don't believe he actually won the first Kovalev fight. And the second one fair. was right. definitely decided by some low blows. Chad Dawson was weight drained. I mean, those, look, he earned those wins. Uh, they are, you know, they're W's on the resume, but the, you know, people, they're, they, you can, you, they're not asterisks, but you can quibble. All right. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe I jumped too far too forward on that one. Let's continue down the news cycle. This one kind of caught me off guard, but it's got very interesting long-term ramifications. Middleweight contender Daniel Jacobs signs with Matchroom Sport and Eddie Hearn out of England. Some kickers here, though. Still managed by Al Heyman, which makes this very interesting. It's Jacobs leaving the PBC bubble, joining a hot promoter in Eddie Hearn, and now the idea is to make him a feature player on HBO coming off that strong performance in a loss to Triple G. I agree, Brian. Eddie Hearn is hot and very well-dressed. Oh, my Go God. On. Put that guy in a vest and let him hang out with us because he would hang out with us. And I know we're going to have a – we got some bonus audio coming from Triple G Canelo that we teased in the past. It's coming soon. We talked to British journalist Gareth A. Davis whether Eddie and Hearn would, in fact, hang with us, whether he's ropes approved. You don't want to miss the answer to that. But here's one thing Hearn said to Radio Rahim this past weekend, he wants to match Jacobs against maybe David Lemieux next. He wants him to match him three to four times per year. The goal is to get him in there with Saunders for the title, get him in there with the winner of what essentially would be the Triple G Canelo rematch. Rave, how big a deal is this considering the, the promotional network landscape right now? I think it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm look, I'm ha- I'm happy because it, I think it's a make, it's a good chance that Daniel Jacobs is going to get more fights. You know, I mean, he, he they've been having problems finding opponents for him so good against Triple G, and you realize, oh, wait, no, Danny Jacobs really hasn't lost anything since he was prospect of the year, rising guy, you know, and then came back from cancer. No, he's still that good. Um, and he came back and, from Perot folding him up, putting him in a suitcase and mailing it. I mean, that was a rough... Is, he came back from that as well. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and Hearn, you know, he has this other, he, you know, he has access to fighters sort of all around the world. He's not sort of uh, not, you know, he, he seems like he's been able to make fights for He's been able to help Jorge Linares resurrect his career with the, with a lot of fun fights over in the UK. So uh, I think if, if Jacobs is willing to sort of play on both sides of the pond a little bit and and take what uh, Eddie, you know, follow Eddie Hearn's lead, uh, that's great. You know, I, I hope it leads to something. Well, you, you always know that you're going to earn with Hearn, that's for sure. But here's the real interesting part. Top rank leaves ESP or leaves HBO to go to ESPN for a big deal. It, it's right away we're like, oh, man, HBO in hell. 
But are they here? Because here's the interesting thing. Eddie Hearn's been poised to make a run and try to quote-unquote take over America for a while. And there's plenty of podcasts and TV interviews with him essentially saying that same thing. And when he was interviewed over this weekend, he's like, you know, my goal is to become the featured provider on HBO like I am for Sky Sports in England. Rafe, if Eddie Hearn slides in those DMs and we start to see Matchroom Sport all over HBO and he can sign big names and since he's friendly with Al Heyman, if he can bring over maybe a couple more of these PBC guys where it's like Heyman's thinking, okay, I'm still the manager, I'm still getting my cut, I'm still helping guide this guy's career, but it's maybe more profitable for this guy, for him to go to another league, right? Go to the HBO side of things. Boxing will be better off by earning with Hearn. Yes, it will, Rafe. It will, bro. I'm with you. Look, I'm I'm all for. I'm I'm really happy that 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 uh, that this is happening, and hope it continues. Hope that HBO stays in business with Hearn, and because they've been putting on really good fights in the UK for a couple years now, uh, and and you know it's not a, it's it's I'd rather watch them on HBO than catching streams in the middle of the afternoon. When Don't possible. cross stream, never uh, cross stream. And uh, you know you know I I'm, I'm curious about Al Heyman's role in all this. We're talking about maybe you know Eddie Hearn coming over and taking over a little chunk of the U.S. business. But maybe this is maybe Danny Jacobs is the Trojan horse in which Al Heyman gets inside the matchroom system and takes over from the inside. Wow, like you know? he did to Golden Boy with uh, with some dirty laundry, right? Maybe that's right. You know, and we're talking about the things that HBO is doing. You know, I'm I'm all for this UK invasion, earning with Hearn. But really, if they want to get to my heart, if they want inside this right here. They need to talk to my man, Tricky Dick Schaefer, and get some of those cruiserweights on HBO. Wow, you love it when they're cruising together. To close on Jacobs, he told Radio Rahim of Boxing Scene over the weekend, you know, they asked him, what would happen if you fought Canelo? Jacob says, I say stoppage. I really feel that I'm coming into who I've become as a man, as an athlete, as a professional. I really feel that I can go in there and get the job done. What he brings to the table, and I'm not knocking anything, but size matters in boxing. Physiques matter. Jacobs ended it by saying, it's different. I'm telling you, it's different. And I do see myself stopping Canelo. Rafe, I kind of believe this guy. I do see him stopping Canelo because this guy can bang. He bangs. And size matters, Brian. He bangs and size matters. Uh, I'm just saying that's know. a I – mean, he, can, he can question Canelo's manhood here, but – you know, Danny Jacobs, I, I still, I still would like to see him in another real fight. You know, whether, I mean, obviously, uh, Eddie Hearn was talking about David Lemieux as a possibility. Some other good middleweight that we can see if he can actually knock someone other than Sergio Mora out. You know, he, he, he fought great against Triple G, but let's see him do that. You know, Danny Jacobs is a pretty, like, he, uh, he's, you know, he boxes well, but he takes his time. He's not all, he's not really all, he's a big puncher. He's not always looking for that though. He will outpoint guys and, you know, if Triple G didn't knock out Canelo, I don't know if uh, I, I don't know if Danny Jacobs necessarily okay. would. Once again, you have saw you have put me back in my place to a certain degree, but I'm just saying that the only fear we had with Jacobs was that chin, and he proved against Golovkin that he's. I mean, he's incredibly tough. Look at what he's overcome in his life, and I just want to hear one time, Miracle Man. You're next, my friend. I want to hear that. So we'll see what happens. Rafe, other news is this was about a week before, but Sergey Kovalev finally addressed the media ahead of his November 25th return at New York's Madison Square Garden against Vyacheslav Shabransky. He talked to us in Las Vegas. He also had the official press conference in New York just this past week. One thing he says is boxing will be better off if Andre Ward does stay retired. But the bigger stories was... 
He's kind of talk about maybe training himself moving forward after the John David Jackson fallout. When asked if he would consider Freddie Roach or Abel Sanchez, he gave a hard no. Now, Igus Clemens, his manager, and Kathy Duva, his promoter at main events, both said, look, he's not going to train himself. That's not what he means. We're looking for a trainer upgrade here. When asked about Virgil Hunter, though, right, Andre Ward's trainer, Kovalev has twice now said, yeah, I, I would consider it. I want to talk to him. Rafe, is that the right fit? Is it Virgil Hunter here with Kovalev? Is that, gonna... that is some weird stuff. I don't know. Uh, I No, I don't think that is the right fit. One, because um, as great a trainer as Virgil Hunter is and as entertaining as he is to listen to motivate a fighter in his breathy tones in the corner. Careless um, whisperer. You know, the, I just don't, he, he hasn't done great with, with fighters other than Andre Ward, who he has this lifelong connection with. You know, he, he motivates them, but a lot of, especially the offensive guys, when Morris fought, when Abner Morris fought for, uh, under Virgil Ward for one or two fights, he didn't look like himself. Look at you guys, Alfredo Angulo, I mean, was washed, but also, you know, I mean, he starts trying to turn them into Andre Ward a little bit or teaching them a little bit too much of that defensive game that, that they don't do well enough to, to, to do on a world-class level, these fighters that are offensive like Kovalev or whoever, they're better off being a version of themselves and trying to refine that. And and also I think, you know, for Kovalev, get somebody he can communicate with. Get someone, you know, part of part of the whole thing, I don't need a trainer stuff that that was coming through in those in those media sessions just has to do with you know the the communication gap. He's not he, he, he's not protecting Kovalev all over the protection here. Uh, look, I, I, I do. I don't know why I end up protecting him. I just I, I like to add a layer of nuance here, you know, where um, it's it, see, I, my my read on Kovalev is that he's a guy who because he was never favored coming up through the amateurs. He's this guy that really believes that he has done everything on his own. So he thinks that I don't need a trainer. I'm just this guy. I go out and fight and knock people out now. Uh, they, he, I think that the people at main events are hopeful that they can get a trainer who can reach him and convince him to, to sort of, you know, listen and hey, learn and, and improve a little bit. Hey, Robert Garcia, right? Isn't Kovalev kind of working out in Robert Garcia's old gym? Like, make that work. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I mean, you look at, you know, Robert Garcia really elevated Marcos Maidana's game and he seems to, to connect with guys. Uh, I, I do wonder if it would be, I, I think the ideal might be if they could get Papa Lomachenko on board, but oh, also yeah. the other thing is Kovalev is so stubborn and, and there's enough evidence now that he seems to be not necessarily the nicest guy in a training camp. Uh, he may be nice, you know, to his family, to people in the street, to all the, you know, cause he could be a great guy, but might be a jerk in the training camp. Um, and, uh, and, Trainers might not want to deal with that. You know, you, you may have to pay overpay. Well, and that and that was the John David Jackson thing. It, maybe Kovalev does not want to even pay fair, let alone overpay for uh for training. And trainers at this point might be like, look, I don't need to deal with this if he's gonna act like this. So uh they'll find somebody. I like like Eggis said, it was very funny in the media session. He's like, What is he going to be giving holding the water bottle with his gloves in the corner, <laughs> drinking himself? <laughs> uh, you know, talking to himself. Let me, let me put some water on my balls. Uh. <laughs> Couple points here. The last guy we saw try to train himself was that cruiserweight. You remember the guy's name that that he just retired with the eye injury? What was that guy's name? Uh, Beboot Shumanev. It didn't really work out for him against Hopkins <laughs> when he trained himself. Number two, the idea of Kovalev considering, uh, you know, Virgil Hunter is kind of like trying to date the mother of the girlfriend that just broke your heart. Like there's this weird crossover there. But Rafe, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention 
well, that other storyline that Agus Clemens brought up where he said basically he's not <laughs> sure John David Jackson didn't drug Kovalev ahead of the second ward fight. No, seriously, he said that. You know, it was in response to John David Jackson <laughs> basically telling the media that Kov's an a-hole, that he tried to screw over Jackson for, for money, that it just was a horrible relationship from start to finish. Now, Agus dropping conspiracy theories here. I mean, that, that's assault, brother. That, that's, that's libel stuff, right? I mean, is there any chance that, you know, JDJ dropped the same black pill that Kirkland took before the Carlos Molina fight? <laughs> I mean, look, I love the back and forth that he said, she said. I think it is ultimately meaningless like we will see when the when Kovalev fights Shabransky if he is a shell of himself or some version of the Sergei Kovalev we've known over the years um the thing with the the getting drugged the sleeping pills uh it is no it's crazy and and it's the kind of thing where if they were serious about it it they have a chance to prove it I mean you know it might if, if there was some sort of chemical in in Kovalev's blood it may have shown up in post-fight testing they could go back and look they could ask the commission hey did you see any any Ambien in uh, in Sergey's blood that night or in his in his pee? Um, so uh, you know, and, and in that media session, although Clemus did not totally you know back off of it, he did say you know he changed it to a much softer hypothetical. It's like we're listening to listening to him talk about Sergey. There was so much hate in his heart that I wondered maybe could John David Jackson poison the fighter? You know, which is way different from when he was tweeting like he was feeding Sergey Kovalev sleeping pills. Let me let me rub some ambient on your bowls. Maybe you know maybe there's a chance about that. Right? The we, ambient suppository, you know, it, you know, this is boxing, the, the the theater of the unexpected. Speaking of that great soundbite. We, we got a, we had a really good card Friday night. Top rank on ESPN from Tucson, Arizona. A double header of action fights. In the main event, Oscar Valdez defended his featherweight title in a fun brawl against your guy with Pinoy Pop, Henesis Cervania, to defend that WBO 126 belt. Rafe. Valdez down in round four on a flash knockdown where he had his hands down. Cervania down on a bomb in round five. Holy crap. But before we talk about how good this fight was, between rounds 11 and 12, Valdez's corner, and hopefully everybody can pick up the audio here. Cool him down, Bernardo Osuna says in the translates. Throw water on his testicles. It reminded us just so much of... Come on, let me, let me put some water on your ball. From the great Ray Torres... Great moment in Sound Bites history, but Rafe, this fight, fire you up or what, dude? Absolutely. Especially that, that round five knockdown when, when Valdez landed that super, that short little left hook, almost didn't see it coming, and Cervania went down like a ton of bricks. Uh, I mean, it was, and, and coming off of the knockdown and Cervania coming on in the previous round, it was one of those like momentum shift crazy moments where I, I felt like, Emmanuel Stewart up in heaven just screaming, Oh God! Oh my God! You know, I mean, it was, I would really just jumped out of my chair. It was awesome. Look, Valdez is so much fun. I'm not sure he deserves the pound for pound consideration that some people on the ESPN panel that you pointed out to me are, are giving him here. But here's the thing. He just makes fun fights in watching him fight reminds me of that stretch when we had Morales Barrera Pacquiao at 126 and life was golden. I don't know if Valdez has the right company, although like, obviously there's some good names around that 22 to 26 to 30 area when you're talking Frampton, Santa Cruz, Mares, all that. Maybe we could make some of those great fights. Maybe we already have. 
Campbell wake up to that fact. But the point is, Cervania was one of the B-sides, like I mentioned this weekend, that wasn't willing to stop trying to win the fight. And Rafe, this was basically 12 fun rounds of... They were, I mean, you mentioned the fifth round where they're just trading giant bombs. Valdez took some punishment in order to pull this win off. I was fine with the closer of the two scorecards, the 16-10, the 15-11. I didn't love the 117-109 as much. I was fine with Valdez clearly winning a close fight, but Cervania came to play. Yeah, I, I see a, uh, a career trajectory here for Valdez where he kind of gets on our nerves for a couple years because he's going to be protected as a champion. They're going to give him these like lower end opponents uh, to to get in fun fights with and probably win. And then he'll get built up. We'll be like, oh, how good is he? How good is he? Then eventually he'll have to fight some good 126 or 130 pounder guys like Gary Russell, like Leo Santa Cruz, Carl Frampton. I think any of those probably I might favor any of those British guys, Quig. Selby, no, Frampton. not Selby. Those guys don't have the same heart. Maybe, maybe Frampton. That's about it. Come on. Uh, you know. Anyway, he there. He'll eventually he'll get exposed and then have a, a second half great career as like a beloved TV fighter, a contender, a guy who's in great great fights. Uh, but you know, so it's it's kind of it's gonna be up and down a little bit. But man, yeah, he's so much fun. He's crazy. I mean, he just walks in and trades. Uh, it is a it is he, he fights with uh, balls that need to be cooled down at times. So while I'm not ready to put him on the pound for pound category yet, that's just my personal take. I am willing to put him on you know like the Jim Lampley Gotti list, where it's like this is a guy to watch. You must watch every one of his fights. It's fun. Kind of the same storyline in this co-main event as your guys there, though. The Turdo, Gilberto Ramirez defends that WBO super middleweight title in one heck of a fun fight against Philadelphia's Jesse Hart, who despite getting dropped in round two, Rafe, once again, refused to stop trying to win. Very close scorecards in the end, 15-12 to 12 on two of them, 114-113 on the third scorecard. Holy crap, this was a fun fight, and Zerto... Correct me if I'm wrong, Rafe. He's almost got, I mean, he's more technical than Valdez, certainly. He's more responsible defensively. But he's sort of one of these guys who's probably going to go pretty far. But he's going to be vulnerable in his biggest fights as he keeps climbing up because he gets hit and he gets in there and fights. Yeah, and he made me a believer in this. You know, I think I think we had been in similar positions. Not, I think both of us thought maybe Arthur Abraham might have might have expo- was going to expose uh, Zerto a, a couple years ago when when they was that a Floyd undercard? Was that the Berto undercard? Boy, it was bad. Wherever where, wherever it was, it was not pretty. Um, uh, but but Ramirez, you know, destroyed like made made Arthur Abraham look as old and terrible as he possibly could in that fight. And in this one, he had a very live Jesse Hart up against him, uh, who kept coming after that after that knockdown and he looked good I mean he just both these fighters looked good and I'd like to see them again Ramirez now I'm kind of I'm I'm on board now that fight was on the undercard of Floyd Maidana one by the way that seems like no no I take that back I actually take that back I'm 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 two years off on that I was reading the wrong date that fight was April 2016 at the MGM Grand which would put that Rafe on the undercard of course of Pacquiao Bradley three my bad on that one but the point here is Oh yes, the no Trump undercard. The, oh, exactly, one of, uh, exactly. One of Bob Arum's most famous uh promoting gimmicks. Uh you know, Gilberto's long, he's a southpaw, he throws those hook those like looping hooks really well, he can come in with a straight left. I mean, 
you know, I hate to say this, and this is a topic I don't want to go down this road, but like, I don't think Golovkin moves up to 68 and wants anything to do with this guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's hard to get inside on. He can bang. He can do some things. I'm just saying that's, that's not an easy walkthrough. That's a war that you're going to be busted up a little bit afterwards. But I want to say this in the third round. I don't know if you saw this. Zerto hit like the lowest low blow I've ever actually yes. seen. I was watching the bo- the box Azteca replay because I was unable to watch this card live. So I'm watching the Spanish announcers. He basically hit the bottom of Hart's back. Like the lowest low blow ever. And the Mexican announcers laughed for a full 30 seconds afterwards. Great television, Ray. Uh, cool them down. You know, there are lots of different ways to cool them down. You can do it with more than water. And uh, on the undercard, Michael Conlon, the Irish prospect, KO2 over Kenny Guzman on a really nice right hand. Michaela Mayer, the U.S. Olympian female, improves to 2-0. We don't care yet, but maybe we'll care down the road, Rafe. Saturday night. Another really good fight in the end. HBO. A cracker. It was a cracker. It was a cracker. Your brother brother Luke really, really came up and 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 showed some some heart. Holy crap! Jorge Linares defends that WBA lightweight title at the Forum in Inglewood, California, by split decision over a game and a half. Luke Campbell from England, the former gold medalist. Campbell goes down in round two on a really good right hand from Linares. Gets a really bad swollen eye. And doesn't stop again. Sorry to beat the drum. Trying to win the fight. Only this was a little bit different. Campbell's really big for a lightweight, Rafe. He's a southpaw. He's got a big jab. He has a real deft way of teasing the jab and curling it into a mini hook with his right hand. He can fight. He didn't stop coming forward in the late rounds. And the kicker of the story, he revealed after the fight something he had kept hidden, oddly enough, that his father had died from cancer two weeks before, and he kept it completely secret from the media, and that it was, you know, the situation where it drove him. Rafe, this is a really good fight, and you can almost make the case that Campbell could have won this. Yeah, and and what a heartbreaking detail to learn afterwards, and sort of makes it even inspire more inspiring. You know that the, that you know the, him getting getting off the ground, coming fighting his way back in, making a fight of it. I had Linares winning a little, you know, pretty clearly. Um, I just thought he was better. He is better. Um, but man, Campbell, you know, Campbell, he made a great fight out of it and showed real world class skills. Like I would favor him over a lot of the other contenders and say Terry Flanagan, the the, the belt holder from the UK at 135. Uh, it just so happened that Campbell ended up having to fight Linares, who is very, very, very good. And I would say this is a, I, Linares. I, you, you know, I'm, everyone has their own guy. For me, I might if, if I had to pick one active fighter to introduce like a uh, some a person to the sport of boxing, it might be Jorge Linares. Yes. Even though he's not a you know a huge knockout guy necessarily, his combinations, the way he moves, he's such a pretty fighter. Not just a pretty man. He's but a beautiful like, man and a beautiful fighter. That's the best way. To say it, it is the combinations, the way he, the angles at which he throws that right, and there's and his hand speed when he lets the, when he lets it go is really. I mean, it is poetry in motion. That guy. Um, I mean, he's won wait, twelve you, in a row now, Rafe, since those back to back. Losses in 2011 and 2012. We talk about about him a lot. Demarco and Thompson. He's on like a he's on like a Pacquiao style run through the UK. He's just taking out every <laughs> English fighter under 140 pounds. Ricky Burns better not, better, you know, better watch out. It's coming. Well, he's a man of the world, born in Venezuela, spent a lot of his career in Japan, now living in England. So after the fight, he calls out Mikey Garcia. Instant. You know, reaction, basically people are like, you don't want none of that. And we know Mikey's trying to get a fight with Cotto at 54. I mean, he's trying to dare to be great here. He could fight in many divisions. Then 
Linares amends that and says, no, I actually want WBO champion Terry Flanagan. I think he would continue that run and, and, and take the boxing souls of any of these Brits because, I mean, man, Linares is, is just so slick in there. So uh, this is a good development. But Campbell, we know Campbells can fight, Rafe. We know they're, they're warriors at heart. This guy. I want to see him again, all right? His only other loss was a split decision that kind of I, I don't agree that his opponent deserved. But uh, let's see this guy again. Let's make fun fights in this division. A lot of fun Brits here. Top bloke. Top bloke. Top bloke all the way. Rafe, you love it oh. when we're cruising together. I mean, I could play many a sound, but I could take us right into Ropes Karaoke here again. But let's just get right into this. The world boxing super series quarterfinals. And by the way, for the fans out there that love our first single Respect was made for box. We are. We are currently, like Rafe mentioned last week, working on a second one. We're going to try to get that up on the iTunes adult contemporary boxing charts as well as the first one. So just get stay tuned for that. But Yacht Rafe, box. in San Antonio, Alamo Dome, Unier Cool Ranch Door to Coast, the WBA Cruiserweight champion, improved to get this 22-0 and with 21 KOs. With a result I didn't see coming. I thought we were going to see action. I thought we were going to see fun. But KO2 over the hammer, Dmitry Kudryashov. Let me not waste any time with analysis. This is your bread and butter. Talk about this fight. Well, this was definitely a possibility if you had watched much of Kudryashov before in that he is so slow and at times looks so unbelievably bad that, uh, you know, he leaves himself open. I mean, it was almost weird to see him get hit by that right because – he just stopped. He froze and nothing made him freeze. He just stopped and stood there and basically got tagged. And and I think Kudrashov, you know, he was in the fight. He was moving, you know, he, he was moving Dortikos around with those big left hooks. And, and I was a little worried that Dortikos was being a little too brave standing there in, in the pocket and, 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 and fighting with him like that when he could have probably moved and boxed a little bit more. But obviously he felt like he, he was going to land that punch and he did. So kudos to him for, for pulling that off. Um, you know, <clears throat> Kudrashov, if he had the chin of fellow cr- insane crushing, cru- crushing Russian cruiserweight uh, uh, Dennis Lebedev uh, or Rubadub, hats off to uh, William Detloff and the old Ring Theory podcast, uh, Dennis Lebedev, if he had a chin like that, he could be a real player. If he could take the punishment that he d- and then dish it out, then you know, then he would be a much more dangerous fighter. As it stands, it looks like he does not have that kind of chin. So as big as that punch is against good fighters, he's just going to get, you know, he's going to get beat to the punch and beat. Uh, so, so we know that now. This fight was interesting because Cool Ranch comes out, he boxes the first round, looked really good. Something changed in that second round. And it was like 17 consecutive one-two combos from from Unier to try to break down Kudrashov's guard. And then once he was able to split that guard, the power was there. I mean, this guy's Cuban, B. He's for real. He's a slick guy who goes for the finish. Can he win the tournament? I mean, what would it look like if he fought Usyk? You got me fired up for cruisers now. That's right. We are now cruising together. It is time to get those loads ready and shoot. Um yeah, Brian, I, I think he is, you know, he was, I, he was one of the guys I favored going in. Um, and, uh, I think he, you know, he certainly backed that up so far. I mean, he was, fa- he, I, I expected him to beat Kudrashov, uh, but he's, he had to deal with that power and get him out of there before it caused any trouble for him. And he did. I think that he can, he should be up right up there with Usyk as a, uh, as a guy 
who, you know, as, as one of the real favorites. But man, if this goes to the semifinals that we think it could, I mean, if Morat Gassiev wins and ends up fighting Dortikos in, in, in the semi and then Usyk and a potential and the, the winner of Mike Perez and Maris Bredis, I mean, that is a nasty semifinal. All those, I mean, I, I don't expect everything to go according to plan because all those guys are very, very good. That is, that is. I, look, I didn't think I, I knew cruising was made for box. Uh, you know, we have a lot of fun with that. I didn't think I'd be this fired up in the end. On this undercard, Rafe, real quick, Nonito Donare, who we had last week, did get a UD10 decision over Ruben Garcia Hernandez. He mostly boxed. He wasn't looking to be a slugger. It was a, it was a strong performance. And in an all, a reserve bout, an alternate bout in this tournament, we saw Keith Tapia drop and then decision Latif Coyote. So, uh, IF he up, no longer in business, Rafe. So, <laughs> Uh, R.I.P. I.F.E. up. But, yeah. uh, you know, the thing I, I my, the thing, the other takeaway I had from this card was that it seems like Schaefer and Ringstar may have bought, like, secondhand all of the used uh, PBC bells and whistles. Like, I swear they played some Hans Zimmer music right before the main event. And there's this crazy light rig set up, very classy operation. Uh, and while I made fun of the Hans Zimmer stuff when it was freshly purchased, when you're getting it from like Salvation Army, I feel like that's cool. That's kosher with me. <laughs> Going into the, going into the archives here to find some old Hans. I mean, how much money did the PBC pay Hans Zimmer that was never, you know, never, you know, realized upon as they pulled that plug so quickly? Rafe, we got to round out the weekend with Joseph Parker defending his WBO heavyweight title in Manchester, England, going into enemy territory on Saturday to outpoint Huey Furry, the younger cousin of Tyson Fury, by majority decision. Now, Parker improves to 25-0 and with 18 KOs out of New Zealand, but the scores here were a mess, Rafe, all right? 118-110, 118-110 in favor of Parker, and 114-114 in a fight that was really kind of brutal to watch because Huey Furry kind of, tried to do the Tyson Fury versus Vladimir Klitschko method. And obviously Huey Fury's dad, Peter, is his trainer. It's also Tyson's uncle and trainer. After the fight, Fury's camp said they planned to take legal action to overturn the decision. And promoter Mick Hennessy took it one step further, accusing, quote-unquote, dark forces of conspiring against Huey Fury. He said, I thought he skated it. It was an absolute masterclass. Shades of Ali! It was beautiful boxing in the heavyweight division, Hennessy told BBC Radio. Radio Rafe, uh, and he also went on to say, by the way, that's probably not. Uh, he said it's the worst decision he'd ever seen in his life. Absolutely disgusting, Rafe. The best thing to say is the fight was kind of absolutely disgusting, and I, even though it was kind of interesting to see Fury try to pull off that bait and switch style, and by the way, he did land some clean counters. I came away not impressed with either guy, and that's kind of a problem in this resurgent heavyweight era, right? Yeah, you know, beauty, I suppose, is in the eye of the beholder. And I did not see a whole lot of uh, beauty or shades of Ali in this fight. But, you know, the, yeah, these are, I mean, they're, they, these are the heavyweights that we, uh, we associated with the terrible heavyweight division that was unwatchable for so many years. And, um, if Joseph Parker wants to go have a Chris John run in, uh, in New Zealand with that belt, uh, that's fine with me. Um, I won't be watching too closely. Well, here's the thing. Joseph Parker, like, not to complain here, but he's supposed to be a young stud. Wasn't really in that good of shape. Was kind of softer on the belly the same way Oscar was in the Felix Sturm fight, by the way. And, like, you gotta be better than that. And, like, in his, you know, when he outdecisioned, uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. unimpressively, he was kind of unimpressive here. And I know he got the decision enemy territory, but, like, 
I want. I almost want the belt to be off Joseph Parker until he can get in there and fight and really show me something, Rafe. It's just not winning me over. I think Huey Fury is going to be an interesting contender because the Furies can talk. They're tall. They're difficult. But this was not a fun fight. Not a great example of where the heavyweight division is going. I want to hit you up with one fight that was made that kind of gets me to pop in sort of a sloppy Super Bowl kind of way. A good washed middleweight bout on ESPN, October 19th from Las Vegas. Golden Boy will give us Gabe Rosado, yes, Gabriel, against Glenn Tapia, who came off the wash circuit to, outpo- to nearly outpoint Jason Quigley in a tough fight just a few months ago. You fired up about this? Let's give you. It's not going to be in the BKB pit, in case you were wondering. I know the, the lineal BKB middleweight title will be on the line, but you fired up for this or no chance? No, I am. I mean, I love, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a diehard Rosado boy for life, you know, uh, style boys, Rosado boys for life right here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm with, I'm down with his tats. I like his giant, his giant sunglasses. Um, and, and honestly, I, 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 even though it was years ago and he's, he's, he's taken, he's got a lot of miles on him since then and is not the same fighter. The guy who showed up and fought his 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 life away against Gennady Golovkin way back in like January 2013 earned so much respect for me from me and I think from everyone who was there because that was one of the most brutal things I've ever seen in a ring and um, you know he never went down uh, despite his face really exploding on him uh, and and his you know his trainer Billy Briscoe screaming you know Poppy he's gonna die um, it was. Uh, you know, I, yeah, so I'm I'm down with Rosado forever. No, I think Rosado, good boy. Gabriel, good boy. Yeah, I mean, this is washed on wash crime here, but I'm all for it on it, like a Friday night nice on ESPN. And sloppy. Like, I know you like it. Yeah, I like it. Nice and sloppy. <laughs> Rafe, let's throw it to one of my favorite quotes in boxing. I know I just said that line to Austin Trout just a few weeks ago, but Triple G trainer Abel Sanchez, lot to talk to him about in the wake of Golovkin Canelo. Let's find out what the great Abel has to say. Enjoy. Very pleased to welcome in on the In This Corner podcast, Abel Sanchez, former trainer of the year. Of course, the man who was in the corner when Gennady Golovkin fought Canelo Alvarez, the biggest boxing match of this year, one of the most controversial as well, the split draw. Abel, I've always said, look, you want to run down the list of best quotes in boxing, you got to have Abel Sanchez on that list. So thanks for, for joining us here. I want to get you right off the top. What was your take on this fight? Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, a week later, week and a half later, we're still talking about the score instead of the great fight that uh, these two guys put on for us. Uh, Adley Bird, uh, I'm sure, uh, for the, saw the fight for the first time this last Saturday because she sure as hell wasn't there last Saturday. It happened. I mean, how how bad how bad is that for the sport when you are a trainer, when you're a fighter, when you're a promoter, and you're in on this? And it feels like when you hear that scorecard, it feels like you didn't have a chance to begin with on, on one-third of the deciders of this big fight. Well, actually, it was on two-thirds because Don Trella gave Canelo the seventh round, which was Gennady's, by everybody's account, Gennady's best round. So there was two guys that were against us. Just one was more uh, uh, decisive uh, in, in her scoring. But uh, I think that it, it hurts the sport. It hurts, and I said this at the press conference, it hurts the guys that are out there uh, struggling every day to try to make a living in uh, in trying to get a fair shake, I think it hurts the boxers. I think it, it, it deprives them of the glory of victory. 
Sure. And, um, you know, over the weekend, Abel, HBO replayed the fight uh, on Saturday night before the Linares-Campbell card. Uh, you probably had a chance to watch or uh, watch it once or twice even before then uh, again. I guess in, in rewatching the fight, did you pick up on anything that you didn't notice in the moment or anything that, uh, you know, you, you thought that you think that Gennady could have improved on or, or missed opportunities or things that Canelo surprised you guys with? Well, actually, I have not seen the fight since. Okay. Uh, I want to. Uh, I, I, you know, it's over with. Uh, the scoring's over with. When the next fight comes and we fight him again, I'm sure that Gennady and I will sit down and watch the fight. But during the fight, though, I noticed that Canelo was moving a lot more than than he had in in previous fights. But uh, he was moving because he was exhausted by the third or fourth round from Gennady's presence. Um, I don't think that the spurts that he did in some of the rounds were enough to win the rounds. But then again, I'm a bi- I'm a biased observer. True. Uh, but yeah, of course we're gonna. There's gonna be some things that we're gonna uh, try to improve on and try to do different uh, so that it's uh, not so close to the scoring this time. Uh, when you look at what Gennady was able to do, the jab was incredible. Like you said, keeping Canelo limited to spurts of action, and that's ultimately in the scoring where I leaned. I leaned on on Gennady's you know, effort, on the fact that he cut off the ring so beautifully, on the fact that his output seemed to overwhelm Canelo at times. The detractors, though, Abel, are saying this. Gennady was never able to really land that home run right hand that he's become known for. Do you have any... I mean, regrets is not the right word. Any concern about how he wasn't able to land that giant punch that he that we sort of come to know him in these fights? No, I, I think that uh, I, I would like to know if you guys agree with me that Canelo is a far different, uh, far better, much stronger, much bigger, a vastly improved defensively and offensively fighter than he, when he fought uh, Mayweather in 2013. I mean, I think we have to agree on that, correct? Oh, no question. Uh, so if we did. Okay, so if we do, uh, uh, when, he, when Canelo fought Mayweather, one card had 114, 114, and, and Mayweather couldn't do nothing with him other than just win. Uh, Golovkin, by everybody's account, beat him by uh, a minimum of two, maybe even four points. Uh, so we fought a much better fighter. We fought, so if we start criticizing, I think, what Galani didn't do, I think we lose uh, track of what uh, this Canelo did do. Uh, he ran a lot. He, he didn't, he wasn't a stationary target. He didn't come to fight like he fought, like he came to fight uh, Mayweather. Uh, if he had, it would have been a different fight. So I think we fought a much, much better fighter than than Mayweather fought. So I'm I'm comfortable with what Gennady did. That we have improvement to do, of course we do. I think we have to learn from every fight. Well, I had no question about that. Look, the way Canelo was able to get out of the way of that right hand and be so slick. I've we've always known him as a guy who can bend his hips, bend his waist to miss punches. I've never seen him so adept at lateral quickness in that sense. So certainly that was a surprise. But Abel, certainly there's the factor that I've always seen Gennady respect power when it's coming back. The Lemieux fight was a great example of that. He's not, you know, you've trained him so well where he'll never be reckless in there. But when I saw him take Canelo's best shots late in this fight, in that ninth round right hand that spun his chin, I mean, that you know, that's the one that destroyed Khan. That's the one that destroys most people. What a great credit to Gennady's chin that he took that shot and kept coming forward. So when I look at the potential of a rematch, I almost see Gennady knows now that he can take Canelo's best punch, that maybe he could be even more aggressive. Is there any credence to that theory? And, and not, not only more aggressive, but I, I think closer. Uh, I think that uh, we missed some shots because the distance was not correct. I think that now that he knows, now that we've got 12 runs in the bank, I think that he knows that 
uh, what to expect from Canelo. I think that now the distance will be closer, and I think Canelo is going to be at a point where he's going to have to fight. He won't be able to run away like he was doing this time. But you got to give credit to Canelo, like you just said. We've never seen him do this kind of movement, and he did it great. He did it very, very well. And um, hopefully, uh, next time we cut, we cut him off a little, a little sooner so that he can't get away and we'll have a better fight. Absolutely. And, and it, it really was a testament to sort of how good Canelo is now at, at rolling and move, moving, you know, using his hips and his upper body movement. He, uh, he's, I, I didn't think that, uh, you know, he's shown that kind of movement before, but I didn't think that he could get away with sort of standing there and, and doing that against, uh, against Triple G. And while I don't think he won the fight, uh, he, he certainly survived it doing that. So, I mean, that really was improved defense. I guess in those middle rounds, Abel, when, uh, Canelo really seemed tired and, and, and seemed like he was, it was just, he was just doing everything he could to get through those rounds and sort of moving corner to corner. Uh, Gennady really seemed to be taking over. Did you, do, do you, uh, do, do, you know, do you wish that, that Gennady had, had stepped on the gas just a little bit more and tried to, uh, get a knockdown, go for something a little more aggressive in those, uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth rounds? In retrospect, yeah, there's some things that we could have done, but I asked him to go a little lower to the body. I asked him to go mm-hmm. more to the body, and uh, when he did, uh, Canelo turned his back uh, as he was doing, trying to roll the punches, and Gennady hit him in the back, and Kenny had not uh, uh, told him not to do that, not to hit him in the back. So so at, at that point, you don't, you don't want to get a point taken away from you because he's already uh, warned you a hard warning already. So uh, it, took, it took some of the offense away that uh, I think he – uh, mind you, I haven't really sat down with Gennady and discussed the fight, so I'm saying what I think happened mm-hmm. in his mind. Uh, uh, took away that uh, that ability to maybe go to the body for him. I think that he he may have been in fear of having Kenny admonish him again and, and take a point away. But uh, I, I think that in those middle rounds, the movement of Canelo didn't allow Gennady to really set on a punch because mm-hmm. our distance wasn't correct, but... Uh, hopefully the the rematch gets made and we're able to correct that and it'll be uh, a lot more physical fight than it was this time. Uh, Abel, you there was seemed like there was a, good, a really strong adjustment Gennady made after watching the HBO replay after the third round. You were very honest with Gennady. You basically said, "Look, you you kind of lost. You gave up that round. You let it go. You know it should have been yours." Rounds four through eleven. Originally at ringside, I scored all of them for Golovkin. Upon watching it again, you know, maybe I gave Canelo one or two more. Still had Golovkin clearly winning this fight. What did he do? What What was the adjustment in there that sort of changed that tenor of the fight in round four? Well, fortunately, I've been with him long enough that he believes everything that I tell him. I'm not going to bullshit him. I'm not going to tell him that uh, something's happening that is not. So uh, when I told him that in the corner, he understood the, the urgency in my voice. I didn't want the fight to get away from us early in the fight. So he stepped it up, uh, uh, tired him out, uh, tired Canelo out a little bit with his presence and landed some good shots. I thought, like you said, I thought that maybe the uh, uh, in those rounds, maybe there was a couple that I could have given uh, Canelo. But I think that we clearly won by about uh, four points. Yeah. Um, and, and Abel, you know, Gennady's been around. He's been sort of become this fan favorite for now the past going on, you know, three, four, five years. Um, and in a way, you know, in a way people, you know, he's, he has this mysterious aura now where people, you know, know what he's like in the ring, but he's very uh, protective about his personal life. You know, there's a story leading into this fight about how he, you know, he, he didn't, uh, drive down from from camp to to see when his when his uh when his when his wife gave birth to a to a child um i guess like is there any you know what 
what have you seen of the of the personal side of of Gennady Golovkin that that we you know on the outside don't know? What's what's he like behind the scenes? Well, actually, I see everything. Uh, he is very uh, very humble, very private person, very uh, 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 reclusive. I guess you uh, is, is another word. Uh, when his uh, daughter was born, it's uh, a week before the fight. He was in camp, and we were uh, we got a call. He got a call about noon from his wife saying that she was going down to the hospital. Um, she was getting ready to have the baby, so he his his training time was at three. At about 2 o'clock when the other guys were in the gym, he came down and he said, Coach, uh, my wife called me and the baby's coming. I said, okay, we'll pack up the stuff and go. He said, no, Coach, we're going to train at 3 o'clock. So we trained at 3 o'clock. Uh, I didn't spar him that day because I had a Wednesday that was perfect. I didn't need to spar him. So uh, on Friday, we just hit the mids and did some pad, uh, pad work and bag work. And uh, he left the gym at about 8 o'clock. And the baby was born at 4 so uh, he says, this is my job. This is my business. Uh, the baby's going to be born whether I'm there or not. So <laughs> That's uh, right. And, and, and yeah. I heard that uh, his wife, you know, she drove herself to the hospital to give birth. This sounds like a pretty tough family all around. <laughs> well, actually, she's a, she's a very strong girl. She works out every day. She worked up until uh, probably three days before the birth of the baby. She was working out. She's got a, 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 one of our guys that uh, cl- works close with us in, in uh, uh, GGG Promotions is a personal trainer, and he works with her probably three times a week. So she's in great shape, and yes, she did drive herself to the hospital. Abel, there's this narrative on, on Triple G that I get upset about. Now, look, decision fight against Jacobs, decision fight against Canelo. Both guys probably A-level opponents, right, or at least gave A-level performances against him. But you're hearing everybody say, we waited too long. You know, unfortunately, we waited too long to get to this level for Gennady. He's 35. He's clearly slowing down a bit. I don't believe that at all because I'm sort of on the side that, like, when you face A-level competition, you're not going to blow him out of there like you did all the B and B-minus guys. Are you seeing anything from Golovkin that's showing age or showing that he's smarter and maybe conserving more or anything to give any credence to that? Or is he still the same guy in your eyes he was a few years ago? Well, I go back to the to the Canelo-Mayweather fight. If Mayweather couldn't do nothing with Canelo when he was less of a fighter, when he was a youngster, when he was a baby, and Golovkin's able to do what he did to him on, on Saturday night, I don't see him slowing down. I saw him pressure for 12 rounds. I saw him... Uh, do the things that he needed to do. Now, mind you, Golovkin is not uh, uh, Jorge Linares, who's got great uh, uh, tricky combinations and all that. Golovkin goes out to hurt you. Golovkin's going to try to land a shot that hurts you and gives the fans what they want. Now, before the fight, uh, Canelo talked about knocking Golovkin out and it's going to be a 10-round fight. I'm going to stand right there and trade with him. He did just the opposite. So I think that uh, Golovkin's method of fighting is different than, let's just say, uh, we've experienced in the past. But when they get up to that level, when you get up to that level, those, are, those guys want to win too. Canelo wants to win. Jacobs wants to win. But if Jacobs fights Canelo, then we're going to see if what Golovkin stands, if that ever happens, Jacobs fights Canelo. And I think Jacobs beats Canelo like Golovkin did. Uh, Jacobs is probably the second best middleweight in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
you know, you've I you've got uh you know another fight uh coming up in what about a month with uh with your cruiserweight Morat Gassiev. Uh, do do him and Gennady, you know, are, are do, the, do those guys spar in the gym a lot? And uh, just sort of what's your what and also just what's your uh you know what's your take on this cruiserweight tournament? You know, we saw uh, Dortigos with the you know score a impressive knockout on uh, on uh, the Russian Kudrasov over the weekend. Uh, there's a lot of tough fighters in that. How, you know, how, you think how do you feel about Gassiev's chances to come out of it? Well, no, they don't spar together because Gassiev is so much bigger. Gassiev is okay. actually a heavyweight, uh, uh, trimming down to a, to a cruiserweight. It's a great tournament. This, the eight best cruiserweights, it's the best thing that could happen to, happen to the cruiserweight division, but it's the best thing that could happen to boxing, especially this year that we're having such great fights. Uh, Dortikos proved that uh, he's a heck of a puncher, Kudrushov. We knew that the kind of punches that both guys were, somebody's getting knocked out. But it's not only Dortikos. You have Usyk, who just fought last week. Bladis uh, mm-hmm. is fighting Mike Perez. That's a heck of a fight. Uh, so uh, we have a heck of a fight coming up on the 21st with uh, an ex-world champion, two-time world champion, a two-organization two world champion. So I think that it's great for boxing. It's great for our division. Uh, I think that uh, Gassiev is on, uh, if not the top four, maybe the top two. Uh, two guys up there that are that should be in the finals. But as we remember when Andre Ward was in the Super Six, uh, he wasn't even supposed to be even competitive, and he ends up winning it. So anything can happen when you have a Ron Robin like that, and especially when it's a single elimination. Uh, you have a bad night, uh, you're going home. Abel, you, uh, it's well known that you formerly trained Sergey Kovalev in the past. It's clearly well known that you know, things in his camp had fallen apart through the two losses to Andre Ward. Now the big blow off with trainer John David Jackson. I mean, there's even some ridiculous headlines where Igus Klimas, you know, trying to say that maybe John David, you know, uh, drugged Kovalev. It's chaos there. But the, the, the narrative now is where does Kovalev go next? Will he get a new trainer? Would you ever consider a reunion there? Or do you sort of stand by your original belief that there's character issues that may have come out, you know, just in the last year and that you're sort of done on that side? Well, I think that uh, what my thoughts were back when I was training them five years ago uh, are, are coming to fruition now. I think that some of those issues that he had in the past, now that he's got uh, fame and he's got money, I think it's more difficult uh, for them to stay hidden. Uh, but I spoke uh, with some people in his camp uh, regarding that fact and uh, regarding that uh, me training them. And uh, what I said was uh, we'd have to sit down and discuss what uh, – uh, how it would run, how we, how we would handle it, uh, and if uh, everything uh, was according to the way that I needed it to be, uh, not because I'm selfish, but because I think we need to have everything, all, all our ducks in a row, make sure that we're not ha- going to have any questions later, then I, I would be uh, open to looking at, at, this, at the possibility, only because I did work for them for a year and a half. I have nothing against them. I wish them all the luck in the world. That's part of my work that's still uh, uh, in him. So... Um, uh, he's like they're like sons that you kick out when they're 18 years old and you let them go. Uh, hopefully, make it out in the world. And and he was having some difficulties. It's unfortunate that uh, the situation with John David Jackson didn't work out because John was a three-time world champion. I mean, I think John knows a little bit about boxing. But in order for John to help you or any coach to help you, a fighter has to allow himself to be helped. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be difficult to to just be there for John. It's it's uh, it's a matter of does he really want to be there and be miserable. Uh, with a guy that doesn't want to allow him to even just uh, coach him. Um, so I understand both sides. I understand that. But uh, I think that Kovalev cannot do it by himself. Uh, I told him that when I asked him to leave my gym. 
you need you need somebody to guide you, you need somebody to coach you, but he's got to allow that person to do it. Yeah, and Abel, I'm curious, just going back to those two fights with uh, between Sergey Kovalev and Andre Ward, you know, the, the the first one was, you know, razor thin. A lot of people thought that Sergey had done enough to win that one, but didn't get the decision. Then the, the rematch, which was, you know, I mean, Ward was taking over, but it ended in such a sort of controversial way with with, with some low blows. I guess, what did, what was your, how did you, what was your read on those fights? You know, how did you think, uh, what, yeah, what, what was your take on those? I, I saw Sergey winning the first one. Uh, razor thin, but I saw him winning the first one. I thought with a with a knockdown and, and him winning six rounds, I thought it was a, a two point fight maybe. Uh, the second one, uh, unfortunately for Sergey, he was by himself. He had nobody on his side. Uh, you might as well just to put a mirror in front of him uh, to talk to himself because he wasn't going to listen to anybody. Uh, so uh, Andre had a team. Andre had Virgil, who's with, been with him forever, and they they got together and they and they formulated something. The continuation, I guess, of round 13 from the the last uh, five rounds or six rounds of the first fight, they continued with round 13 with the changes that needed to be done to continue doing what they were doing at the end of the first fight. Uh, but again, it's because Andre had a, uh, somebody that he, he was relying on to be a second eyes, and Sergey didn't. Yeah. And, uh, Abel, just something kind of, kind of, you know, silly on the way out, um, is, you know, they're, they're, they're every now and then in boxing, like the way when we're watching on TV, uh, they go to the corner and, uh, you, you'll hear a sound, the, the, the translator or, or the someone in the corner say, you know, uh, put some water on his balls and we, we play it here on the show kind of as a joke sometimes. Hold on. Come on let me, let me put some water on your balls. So that's like the famous that's like the famous uh, Eric Morales you know moment uh, that 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 people sort of repeat in bo- among boxing fans. I- I'm curious because it came up again in the uh, there's another one a moment just like that in the Oscar Valdez fight over the weekend. What is the sort of old school trainer philosophy behind that? What is it you know because it, people do it. What is it to, does it actually do anything? Do you, do you I mean uh, are do you have people pouring some water down Gennady's shorts during fights? Uh, how does it, I mean what's the what's the story behind that? No, there's a lot of old school beliefs uh, that it will just shock you into you know it's all of a sudden it's like uh, jumping into a cold pool. Uh, mm-hmm. But anything to anything to revive anything to to stimulate anything to uh, that I've known some coaches that pinch the inside of the leg. I mean, really pinch the inside of the leg real hard, like to piss off the fighter to, to, to get some fire underneath him. But there's a lot of different ways of doing it. Uh, they just happen to <laughs> be more uh, dramatic with it. But uh, yeah, all it is is just a shot, just to, to change the, the mindset for that moment to hopefully get a little charge out of them. And do you have a, a technique that you go to for, for that kind of – when you're looking for that reaction? I look at him. I'm I'm kind of a military man in my in my gym, so I'm kind of like the the mad father, I guess you could call it. So when I get in the corner, and if you listen to any of the sound bites from our fight, I said, Gennady, do you understand? It's more of a a forceful, um, uh, how we just forceful way of saying it, so they know that when I'm coming across, I'm not messing around. I'm telling them, I'm not asking them to do anything. I'm telling them to do something. So I think that's my method of of. Uh, trying to light a fire under their butt. Abel, you've been very gracious with your time. We want to close with this one question. I read some 
profiles of you in the past where, you know, we, we knew you so well from, let's say, the 90s with Terry Norris and the reputation that you built in your early training career. Then you had a gap away from the sport. I read maybe you were disillusioned for a while. I'm interested in seeing how important was the arrival in Gennady Golovkin in the Abel Sanchez training business, getting back up in business and be, being so successful to where you are right now at this sort of second act in your career. Oh, extremely important, but I think uh, the catalyst was the economy in the U.S. in 2008. I, I guess the world, 2008, just going to to the dogs. Um, I uh, I am a building contractor, so when 2008 came and everything hit the skids, I had to uh, reassess my where I was going. I mean, I had done very well in construction, so it's not like I was starving, but I needed to reassess what I wanted to do. So when I, I was building my gym and I built my gym. Uh, I figured that I could do half and half and, and, and try to build on something. Obviously, I never thought a Golovkin would walk through my doors, but when he walked through my doors and I caught him the first couple times, uh, construction was the furthest thing from my mind. I knew that I was going to struggle a little bit at the beginning because it's going to take time to build him up, but I think uh, Tom Loeffler and the Herman Brothers had done a, a magnificent job uh, uh, moving him and placing him in the spot that we needed to place him, and we did our job in the gym. So. Uh, yeah, I've, obviously, uh, it's a once in a lifetime for me. Fortunately, it's happened twice in a lifetime. I'm very fortunate and very blessed, but, uh, uh, he was definitely a, uh, a change for me for the future. Well, Abel, we look forward to seeing a second chance here in what was a, a, a tremendous fight. Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. Hopefully that rematch is around the corner. Thank you so much for your time and joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you guys. It was fun. Thank you. Ray, special thanks to Abel Sanchez, our guest of the week. Look, he always brings it, whether you're asking him about putting some water on the on them bowls. And that was actually like an interesting breakdown right there. But what would you take away from what he had to say about Triple G Canelo? I think that he's being conservative. He's not really letting anything letting anything out of the bag. He's giving Canelo lots of credit, which Canelo deserves a lot of credit for fighting that well. Again, the same way we gave, you know, Danny Jacobs credit for fighting so well against Triple G. I think Canelo deserves that kind of credit too, because this was also a close fight. Um, you know, and, and the credit he deserves kind of gets lost in all of the controversy over the bad scorecards and the fact that the majority, the large majority of people, do believe that Triple G won that fight close. Well, I want to talk about that in one second. And, and you know, we tried to push on uh, on Abel there. You know, why didn't Gennady step on the gas more? But we do have to remember the power that was coming back from Canelo and how, how high class his performance was. And, by the way, shout out to Abel for saying he's already been in touch with Kovalev's camp. little side wrinkle there that, you know, I'd only let him back in if he played by my rules. That's an interesting thread worth talking about. But I want to talk to you, Rafe, about that HBO replay that we mentioned this past Saturday. For me, it was my first chance to watch the fight a second time in whole. And, Rafe, we've talked in the past being ringside can be a blessing or a curse right sometimes when you get a really good close seat as a boxing journalist you get a very better view of two things how hard the punches are landing and which fighter is making the other one back up which sometimes can mean which fighter is making the other one fight his fight right ring generalship all that sometimes it can be a detriment when you're being blocked of the action by someone's back or in my case not to make excuses here but my case that night in the corner behind the turnbuckle behind HBO's lighting gear kind of had a somewhat at times blocked view i had a 117-111 for golovkin upon first view 9 rounds to 3 i did rewatch this at length and gave more credit this time around you can argue was i looking for more credit based on other people scoring this bout tighter i was in this case 
Canelo, you got to give him credit, was better at being taking away that right hand, at being shiftier defensively. Even though there were rounds that his output wasn't as high as you'd want it to be, he was landing the more definitive punches. My amended scorecard is this, Rafe. 115-113 for Gennady Golovkin. Seven rounds to five. I ended up flipping on rounds three and round six back into Canelo's favor. But here's my final decision on that. I don't think you can go any more than that. I think trying to give Canelo a full six rounds is too much of the benefit of the doubt. It's too far because that 10th round, I think, is a swing one in particular. Canelo landed one of the biggest punches, not the right hand from the ninth round, but he's opened the 10th round with a flurry of big shots. But Rafe, he didn't do anything after those first 30 seconds. Two and a half minutes of Gennady walking him down and snapping his head back with stiff jabs. I'm sorry, that cannot be a Canelo round. The same thing kind of happened in round seven. I'm okay with this being a close, clear win, seven to five, kind of like when Mayweather beat Maidana the first fight, right? Close, yeah. but clear win. I can't go anything further on that. Your thoughts on getting a chance since opening night to see some clips, to hear all the hullabaloo. Do you have any change in your look at it? No, look, I mean, in honor of Andre Ward and his recent retirement, I'm not going back on my word about anything. My opinion is my opinion, you know? I mean, it worked for him. Maybe it'll work for me. Um, and, and But honestly, I believe that in this case. Um, you know, I, I, I've revisited the fight several times since since last week, and it to me it, it's 8-4 triple g and and i was watching you know because i i was way up in like the boondocks of the t-mobile arena when on fight night i watched most of it on the screen so i basically got the tv broadcast minus the uh minus the the lampley call and max and hearing the hbo booth but at least what i saw on the screen was basically what you what people saw saturday night on the replay um and you know that's that's why i i i what came away feeling kind of uh, crestfallen about my own opinion that that Golovkin just you know has lost has lost a, a has lost his has lost the fastball does not have the speed on that right hand anymore uh, that and that played into him not being able you know yes it was Canelo's defense him him turning him, him turning out of it and 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 swiveling away from it but it was also uh, Golovkin missing he just can't he can't unload it as fast and and wishing that and and I still wish that he had uh, that he had stepped on the gas he had those. Four rounds in the middle of the fight where Canelo was throwing like one pot shot, two pot shots here and there just to barely keep Triple G honest. And I feel like Triple G from a couple years ago just wades through that and 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 really tries to make a statement. And I think that unfortunately, just beating Canelo is enough because we've seen guys do that in a few different ways. And other than Floyd Mayweather, it doesn't work. You know, we've seen Arislandi Lara basically beat Canelo or have a good argument to beat Canelo. We've seen Triple G do it more convincingly. Still didn't get a win. Austin Trout, uh, my man, Austin Trout. Yeah, that was a close fight too. Um, and, uh, and so I think that, you know, hopefully one takeaway that, that Triple G and Abel Sanchez is not fair, but it's, I think it's true that, they they they're gonna have to go in knowing that they have to do they have to press for something a little more spectacular they have to press for a statement they have to make they have to hurt Canelo if, and and make him and knock him down probably get a statement you know maybe you know it, it's a lot to ask and it's gonna put more risk and 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 make and expose Triple G to more counters in a possible rematch um and and possibly tip the scales to to Canelo in in terms of making the fight easier for him to win or at least look good in but. I don't think fighting the same fight being as uh, responsible as Triple G was is going to be enough 
even though it should be enough, even though it was enough to win the fight in the eyes of the people who watched it, just not the judges who score it. Now, okay, fair play, fair points. I, I have a couple takes with some of those things. I still don't fully subscribe, I'm sorry, to the belief that he's a, a full step down at 35. Two close fights. The problem I have with him when he gets to this AA plus level is he's almost showing too much respect. And that came across in the replay. If you watch the open, you watch his ring walk. It wasn't the same face as Gennady. You know, the, the, the gestures that he showed in the ring before the fight, the HBO announcers played it up, but I think they had a point. I think that this moment, he was a little bit rattled, right? Like this was the mountaintop moment that he had built his whole career around for five years. I thought I saw a guy who maybe wasn't a million percent confident. And I think that came across in the first three rounds. He was a little bit flat. Some of it was respect for Canelo's power. Some of it was wanting to take a snapshot, right? Like a smart boxer. Some of it, I think, was a little bit of nerves. And I think it did take, for example, Abel at the end of round three getting in his grill and saying, look, you just gave away another round. Like, let's go. Let's go to get him going. Once he got going, I thought he was fine, but this is where I come in line with you. When he had Canelo tired in those middle rounds, there were certainly openings where he could have put on that right hand. Now, when he was setting up single right hands, you have to give Canelo credit for seeing them every time. They studied film. Eddie Reynoso, Chepo Reynoso, they clearly studied film because Canelo knew how every right hand was going to start and finish. But the rare times Gennady mixed in a lead right hand, he found success every single time with it. And I think to your point, when he had Canelo willingly going in the corner and being tired, he's got to step on the gas more in the rematch. And my final take on why he can win the rematch, Rafe, and why he can win the rematch by knockout is this. He showed a lot of respect for Canelo's power. But what happens in round 9 and 10 when Gennady, who had great stamina in that fight, was getting a little tired himself? He got lit up a little bit by Canelo power shots, right? That big right hand in the round, round 9 that we talk about, that flurry to open round 10. And you know what he showed? That Canelo's power... In, in a cyborg fashion, cannot stop this guy. So, Canel, or Golovkin, I know it's not in your nature to be reckless, but Rafe, if he's a little bit more reckless in the rematch, I think he can get a stoppage. And that's yeah, not I mean, being a you Triple have, G super If fan. you have that chin that he has, if he can take punches like that and not get rattled and keep coming, that's a, that's a, that's a big advantage in this fight. A big advantage against anyone. And while, of course, you don't want to take unnecessary shots, you want to be somewhat responsible... I think to to get over the hump in a in, in a matchup as close as this, which may become closer if Canelo and Golden Boy try and wait uh, Golovkin out a little bit for this rematch, and and the age gap gets a little ends up being a little more uh, uh, you know of a factor. Um, used to you know I mean he's gonna have to trust that chin and and take some risks to make that statement to 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 hurt Canelo and 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 really. Take it not not take take it out of the judge's hands in terms of knocking him out. Although I do think that's possible, I agree. But just make that statement. Really put the separation there. Don't 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 make it. A, don't let it be a close fight. We saw the best performance I think we could have saw out of Canelo against Triple G, except for maybe wanting him to throw a little bit more and have a little bit more gas in the tank. But we did not see what I consider close to the best performance of Golovkin. I think he boxed too safe, and that's what gives me the confidence that if he can be that destroyer that we label him to be, he can step in there in a big moment and make that happen. But a lot more time will come, Ray, for us to talk about this. Another huge show in the books. Follow us on Twitter at BCampbellCBS, at RafeBugs, double O-G-S on that one. Buy this man's book. It's an incredible father-son journey about life inside of one of uh, the United States' most treasured pubs, Rafe. Am I wrong? I mean, come That's on. right. McSorley's My Dad and Me, two and two. Um, you know, 
things are going well, please read it. Check it out. Buy it. Amazon, bookstores, wherever you want to find it. And uh, if you find me, I'll sign it. The ITC podcast, I want to remind you guys, is on fire. If you only listen to this boxing episode, but you have interest in combat sports, check out our MMA offerings with King Mo, Mo Lawal, big time pro wrestling and boxing fan himself. Also, check out our WWE run of late interviews with Roman Reigns. AJ Styles, we're talking one-on-one exclusives. We got Charlotte Flair this week, a, a big time to be a combat sports fan right now and a big time to be listening to the ITC. That is all we have for this week. Rafe, do you have two words for the people? We out.